0: This should have covered it, glory. And Brett, it is that time of year. Good tidings and cheer are in my heart. Mariah Carey is perpetually in my ears. And you are back destroying sports books across America this December. You had another killer week. You are crushing it in December. How do you do this every single year?
1: I was so sad that I got the PSG bet wrong because I wanted to go five for five so badly. And because, like, now you got it in my head that I'm like just a December god. And so, I, I was, I, I, so, even though my week was still really good, I was, I walked away disappointed after the 1 1 draw against Leo because I was like, dude, December Brett needs to go five and five. But yeah. I got oh, like I four or five. I think I was up over 10 minutes. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good though. I hope under my Christmas tree is an outrageous
0: suit with a fedora and I can become your agent. I can become like your hype man walking. No, only for place. one month, but only, only for, for one month though. Yeah, you have to let me go month.
1: immediately on January 1st. I'm actually
0: going to need that suit under like my Thanksgiving Turkey because it is useless come January. <laughs> I'm not going to be your agent by then.
1: <laughs> oh man. I don't know. what I don't know what it is. I actually, I was trying to think about this too, because he, when you brought it up on, on the other show, I was like, man, what about December? Like is different. And the only thing I can I can picture is like, obviously, as you make fun of, I love my spreadsheets. And in December, we get this crazy congestion of matches, right? So it's like if there's ever a time for data to be really consolidated and you get a bunch of run of games where like things are a little bit stickier, it would be the month of December. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. Where, you know, because we, we never really talk about this, but the Premier League season is long, man. Like we start wow. in August, we end in May. And so like when you're talking about like trying to use acute, like underlying numbers, you know, th- it feels like the teams that we see in August are never the ones that we actually see ending in May for the most part. Um, and so I'm wondering if like just the, the congestion in December kind of helps out with the way that I like look at the sport.
0: I don't know. Whatever it is, keep doing it. I mean, not in the five pint against me. I guess I'm just going to buy you beer every December forever. That's going to be my Christmas present to you. But (laughs) for the listeners at home, I mean, this guy's red hot. Make sure that you're paying extra attention to his picks today. And Brett, you mentioned that fixture congestion. And we're going to do something slightly different next week during the kind of that holiday week between Christmas and New Year. So this is the best time we have to take stock again of the league and look at the futures market because by the time we get back together and when we're having a deep dive into um, the Premier League collectively, it's going to be like mid-January because we're going to do something a little different next week and then they uh, have that week off. And by the time we come back, there's going to be what, like match day 22, I believe. And we're going to be like actually starting to look at the end of the season. So before we have that congestion, before the table starts sorting itself out and the market starts shaping accordingly, we want to get ahead of it. We want to look at bets to get down right now. What can you take advantage of? Where are the odds for the second half of the year? And obviously, we have to start at the very top, the thing that is the uh, highest bet market, the thing that gets the most attention, which is going to be who's going to win the league. And luckily, Brett, for what feels like the first time in forever, it is not, and I repeat, not a foregone conclusion given what we are seeing in the city results. So the uh, four most likely teams to win, according to the markets, are Manchester City plus 130, Arsenal plus 250, Liverpool plus 250, and then they have to be mentioned. If, If they're above city in the table halfway through the year, they have to get a mention, Aston Villa plus 1,400. So as I read out those four teams,
1: Brett, which one immediately jumps to mind for you? Uh, city at a plus number. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm the, wor- I'm the worst. Uh, I'm the I'm the worst. I yeah. I mean, I think you and I are going to be on the same page on this, but um, I think I think one of our our favorite writers, uh, Ryan O'Hanlon, mentioned this in one of his pieces too when he was breaking down the top four race. You know, when you think about it, we we've we've kind of over discussed city over the years because they're always at the top. Like we never forget about them. And one of the things that I think Ryan pointed out in one of his pieces was like. You know, we don't, we haven't really given credit for the fact that cities missed their, their, what might be their best player for the entirety of the year. Like, so look at Liverpool without Mo Salah. Uh, you know, look at, at Arsenal without uh, William Salva or something like that. Like, they're, they're, those guys are huge central pieces to them. They've had them all season. Cities missed maybe the best player in the Premier League for most years and Kevin De Bruyne. And the other thing too is like, De Bruyne is older. He's coming off this major injury. Like maybe he's not going to be the same player that he was when he comes back. He's still going to help. And and he's still a big part about it. And they've missed Hallon. They've had some stretches with Rodri Gron. I, I, this is still the best team to me. I know they have a little bit of a point deficit that's unusual at this point in the year, but like, this is still the best team. They're going to get their best players back. I don't know how you cannot take them at a plus number.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You're saying De Bruyne is the best player in the Premier League. I mean, I think that's clearly wrong. I think it's Holland, but Holland's on the same team. So Hmm. if you're going to have both of them, you're going to have them for the for most of the second half. Because like that's the toughest thing about this. Like obviously, when we do this during the preseason, you look at the best eleven and you end up assuming health and then you kind of handicap it that way. Now that we are in this fixture congestion, now that we have had this injuries up and down, like you have a new set of data that you have to analyze. And for City, I think City's had fairly bad luck on that front, right? Like losing mm-hmm. to Bruno on basically opening day. Uh, as you mentioned, Rodri's been missing either through injury or suspension. And I think like Arsenal has had fairly good luck and yeah. Liverpool – uh, similarly, right? Like, it's not like Liverpool has lost Mo Salah, as you already mentioned, and they don't have anybody else except for maybe, arguably, Van Dyke. that is like, uh, well, or I guess Trent Alexander-Arnold, though you know my feelings about him, that if they went down, like, it would be the impact of a De Bruyne injury because none of those, those guys seem to be available each and every week. So I, unfortunately, with you, this is going to be a shorter segment than I want it to be, um, just because... I rebet City this morning and I will re- rebet City every single week that they have this draw run until they're either like plus like 300 because there's enough separation that suddenly it's clear they're not going to win the league or they're like minus 150 because it went the other way. They ran off five straight victories. Arsenal and Liverpool finally uh their spots started showing up a little bit more and City before we know it is 6 points clear again.
1: Yeah, and I mean you you mentioned a good point about Arsenal too. I'm pretty sure, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, Arsenal pretty much started their preferred starting 11 last week a- in the middle of December and all this run like that's that's like crazy. But it was, you know, I mean, obviously you can <laughs> quibble about whether Havertz should be in their preferred starting 11. Yeah. But, you know, it was Havertz, rights. Odegaard. And then they had their preferred front line of Saka, Jesus, Martinelli. Uh, I think Ben White was back in, in the in the ba- uh, back line as well. So, like, they had their guys in, yep. right? And no other team at, at this point can really say that they have everybody healthy and available. Um, And so that's a big deal. I mean, again, it's, you know, I mentioned Salva just because he has such an outsized impact, I think on Arsenal's defense, but, you know, imagine Arsenal missing soccer for the entirety of this year. Imagine Liverpool missing Trent Alexander Arnold or Mo Salah. Like it's just, City has not been operating on the same playing field. And, and I think we're always hyper-critical of them because they've been at the top so far. But just the fact that Arsenal had their preferred eleven, and no other team can pretty much say that at this point, like that's a huge disparity between the two as yeah, far as luck. Yeah, goes.
0: I mean, I, I had that down in my notes. I'm sure we're going to bring that up in the Liverpool Arsenal matchup, which we're uh, blessed to get on this Saturday. So I look forward to previewing that with you. And I, I absolutely agree, as we'll uh, as we'll talk about shortly. So I guess the only real remaining question is: Are we at kind of the nadir of the Man City odds? Like this run of draws and falling into fourth has moved them solidly into plus territory. Do you think this is the best value we'll see? Like it's plus 130, the time to bet this right now before these fixtures run fast and furious and they have a chance to right the ship? Or do you think that like until KDB comes back and uh, they continue to languish a little bit and the number of opportunities they have to make up the gap starts to shorten? Do you think that you know people should wait to bet this for another couple of weeks?
1: Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> that's a great Finally. question. I know. I mean, it's it's just hard to say because, it, you know, there, there's a five-point deficit right now between them and Arsenal at the top. And eventually, you know, even though we see them as the favorite, you know, and underlying numbers and all that and injuries and everything that you can put the math into it, eventually banked points are going to matter, right? Like, so you can't go into late February with them having an eight or nine-point deficit I mean, with the way these teams accrue points, you're looking at a major collapse or an incredibly hot run for them to make up the gap as it goes larger and larger. So you really are dancing on a fault line as when you take this bet. I kind of like what you were talking about in your approach. Like every week, you should probably be reassessing where City's point deficit is, what the line is, and what the injury status is looking like for not only them and the teams above them, and just kind of taking each line as it comes up. Like right now, I think plus 130 is a great line. I think it should they should be about minus 110 or maybe even money. So I think this is where the value is right now. But you know, uh, it's hard to say. Like if they're in January and they've, like you said, they they've blown a couple of games. Uh, there's a delay in KDB's return from injury. Holland picks up another knock and is out for a little bit longer. Like then it's getting really dicey, right? If they're down six points at the end of January and there's some bad injury news then you can't do so much optimistic projection forward because the bank points in hand are going to matter a lot more then.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at their upcoming fixtures. I mean, they've got a bogey of a game next week against Everton coming off the Club World Cup. Uh, Because, like, City's superpower, really, in winning these leagues isn't always just the head-to-head against the Arsenals and the Liverpools and the Chelseas and the Uniteds of the world. It's They don't stub their toe. They don't have a string of draws against teams they clearly should beat like Mm -hmm. they take care of business they get the three points they bank them and then they move on down the line like this run of draws especially the one against palace recently is slightly concerning um but if you look at the fixture list like i think that everton game is a bogey game but then they have sheffield um newcastle burnley brentford everton again and until they play uh, chelsea again on the 17th like I don't see a game there where I don't think they'll take three. Like depending on what the odds are, like I'll probably be playing City money line plus Holland to score in every one of those games that I think <laughs> Holland is is going to be dressing. Um, and so like I I will continue to reevaluate. I'll continue to top up until this hits a, a negative number. But I kind of think plus one thirty is a, is is a good bet to be the best bet that you're going to be able to make in the next six weeks.
1: I think that's. A fantastic way to put it a good bet to be the best bet is probably about right
0: all right well uh let's move down to the other end of the table where a lot of the betting markets are settling on on relegation being somewhat of a settled topic sheffield is minus 1200 luton is minus 500 burnley is minus 300 forest is plus 260 and everybody else after that we're looking at like plus 800s plus 900s is there any name i mentioned that you would like to shout out as a relegation candidate at a relatively long shot bet or do you think that the three favorites to go down will go down
1: yeah i think this market's pretty appropriately priced i'm not sure there's any value here i I mean, I'm not a fan of forest. I don't think they're a very good team. They obviously, uh, <laughs> on a personal note, have offended us because they benched our boy Matt Turner. But maybe with Steve Cooper being fired, um, he's back. That, uh, that yeah,
0: Matt, is, Matt Turner's back between the pipes. There we go. I know, I know, because he gave up a goal on a howler this <laughs> last week.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm kind of glad that with Steve Cooper out, I'm hoping that Matt Turner is going to be kind of their starting number one just for USMNT things. Um, but yeah, I don't think Forrest is very good. I just think there's such a huge gap between these relegation teams and everyone else. Um, and I, I think the market's got this one pretty appropriately priced. I think the value is actually going to be in the in-between the relegation and the top. Um, and so a lot of the bets that I I actually was looking at, and I don't want to get too far ahead here, are going to be probably outside of the top, uh, the top, uh, the title race and then outside of the relegation race and more like top four, top six, top 10 stuff.
0: Okay, well, we can get the to top four, top six, top ten in just a minute. Um, I think the Nuno hiring is a great one for Forrest to stay up. I don't think that they're suddenly mm-hmm. going to you know, finish top of the table or anything or top half or maybe even top uh, three quarters. But I think that they could definitely get to 16 or 17 with Nuno in there. And I think what's interesting, Brett, is like these teams are way behind. Like Sheffield, Burnley, Luton Town. Um, they're sitting at eight, eight, nine points is at 14 Everton's at 16, just because of that massive point reduction. Um, and like, I looked at the 17th place finish for the last five years and the point totals were 36, 38, 39, 35, 36. Interestingly that 35 and 36, that was Aston Villa and Brighton which shows that like how much you can really dance between the raindrops here of just going down and then, you know, Aston Villa being mentioned in the... How, how different
1: those story arcs could have been, Toby. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, Everton's also on the list. Okay. I, just, I don't see a
0: world in which Luton, Burnley, or Sheffield sitting at 9, 8, and 8 get into the 30s. So I don't see any way they don't go down just by the pure math of it. They're too far behind the historic pace, and they don't have like the talent to go on a newcastle S run for a couple years ago where they were flirting with relegation and then found their way to safety by running off like six wins in February and in, in March.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's about right, too. I mean, uh, I had a little bit more faith in Luton Town, I think, than I probably should have early in the year, um, you know, especially, in, and obviously this is first and foremost. It's, I mean, fantastic that Tom Locke here is. Recovering, I think he was discharged from the hospital either last night or to this morning. Um, but I mean, they they just don't. Uh, none of those teams have the horses to do it. They just don't have the personnel to pull off, uh, you know, a, a complete dovetail from where they're actually at in terms of accumulating points right now. Unless Ross Barkley like goes on a Ross heater for Luton Town, <laughs> Ross the boss. Um, I don't think this is going to be the case. I mean. I know you're a big Ali McBurney guy from Sheffield. Like, you know, who doesn't like a, a McBurney sighting? Uh, but I mean, he's not going to be the guy that's going to tally a bunch of goals. It's really hard to recruit in January when that's the case. Like, it's hard to get players in if they think you're going to be relegated. So, I, I think that these teams are all pretty much in trouble. I think there's a huge gap between. Nuno is. It's definitely he's got it. We saw what happened when he went to Spurs. He's got a low ceiling as a manager, but he definitely raises your club's floor. And if he can just make Forrest like defensively average, there's no way that they're going to probably take the big enough hit to, to go. And teams like Bournemouth that were, <laughs> we're going to talk about them in a second, but teams like Bournemouth that were like in the serious relegation conversation have taken off. And Everton obviously has exploded after their points deduction and they may get those points back. So, I mean, that some of the teams that would have been great candidates to just kind of trip over themselves and help one of the relegation teams have all made these like little runs that separated them enough, probably at this point where they're going to be safe.
0: Yeah. Last one I'll mention, and then we'll move back uh, to that top four, top six race that you want to discuss. Uh, Chelsea is plus 15,000, and that is not for on the field performance But if Everton does not get those points back, it sets some sort of standard by which Chelsea gets adjudicated, it gets a 100-point reduction, they're not going to have 130 points to stay safe. I mean, a hundred points might be high, but like Chelsea's probably going to finish in like the 50 to 70 point range. Anything from 40 points and beyond as a reduction would put, make them a relegation contender and you're getting 150 to one on that. So I don't know if that's worth five bucks and to root for uh root for the cockroaches and, and nuclear holocaust, but here we are.
1: So, so you had to talk about your club. Uh, and, and and so and you're talking about them in a negative light. I'm going to fill you in. I'm going to give you some, for a Christmas present, year, I'm going to give you some ammunition to make fun of me. So Everton's top four odds are like plus 100,000. Yeah. <laughs> and believe me, I was sitting here pre-show, going back and forth, working out the math, on whether or not you want to maybe put something on that bet, because if they get those points back, it's the it's the vein of the Chelsea argument that you just made, but it's yeah. the the reverse of it. If they get those points back, Everton is like ninth, and they're like nine points out of a, a Champions League spot. And Aston Villa, we don't know what they are. Everton's underlying numbers are actually roughly similar, and that's including like a rough start to both their actual and underlying performances in the first like four matches. Um, so like, that's all, that's that's huge odds. All I'm saying is you get a court case and all these other teams that are, are plummeting backwards. You just need Aston Villa to join them. And that bet doesn't look so bad. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) <laughs> I,
0: I completely agree. Uh, we have an Everton match this week, so I'm I'm pretty sure I but know both of the, who we're both going to pick yeah. in that one. Yeah. Um. But like, I think the arguments dovetail in that if you set a precedent and then you now have to hold City and Chelsea to the same standard and being forced to relegate two of your biggest cash cows, both in terms of ratings, television, yeah. fan interest around the world. That's uh, that's pretty dicey. And so if they get an off ramp to give Everton those points back to not have to hammer City and Chelsea, I think they'll take it. And at that point, Everton getting those 10 points back with their underlying metrics, all the Everton futures short of winning the league certainly look like great value.
1: Yeah, I mean, Uh, top top six for sure. I mean, we'll get into that, but like I don't want to cut you off. But there are so many things that are going to change as far as like narrative driven things with in all aspects on and off the pitch of Everton get the points back.
0: So let us get into it now, Brett. Let's not make you wait any longer. Top four odds. Arsenal, minus 1,400. pool minus 1,100. Aston Villa, minus 1,10. They're coin flipping Aston Villa to finish in a Champions League position, which is really interesting. Spurs, plus 1,75. Newcastle, plus 2,50. United, plus plus seven hundred, Chelsea, plus 1,000. Brighton, plus 1,600. I'll give you the reverse odds here in a moment for finishing outside the top 4, but let's stick with uh let's stick with the positive right now. If are you taking City, Arsenal and Pool as given and we're only looking at the odds for one spot or are you willing to consider Arsenal or Pool or City falling out of the Champions League?
1: I think Liverpool has the lowest floor because there are certain injuries that I think would impact them more than other teams. Arsenal's defense uh, Salva is is a huge part of that. Declan Rice is a huge part of that defense that's basically, I think, probably considered the best in the world right now. I think we can go that far. Um, but I feel like that gives them a, a pretty much a floor at fourth. City, wow. we've already talked about, they're pretty much getting all the, the bad variants right now. And... We still consider them a title contender. Liverpool's the one where I could see their center back situation is already dicey. Matip is out for the year with a torn ACL. You know, Kanate is, has a track record of not staying healthy. Van Dyke has had major injuries in his past, a lot of minutes under his legs there could be an injury issue there. If they start going to that year where they were, they were running through center backs and pulling people out of the stands and their Academy and wherever else they could find them to find a center back. um, I think that we could be, you know, seeing them, maybe hit a bad run and fall out. Uh, But I think Villa is the one, I mean, they have like a crazy like home away split in terms of their performance that makes me ask some questions about their sustainability. And I also, you know, Eddie Howe's run at Newcastle has been very consistent up until this window, where they clearly are just an overworked, overrun team. And they're not in the Champions League anymore. They actually fell so far out of that group, they're not even going to be in any European competition anymore. The plus 250 for them is where my eyeballs first went. I don't know about you.
0: Yep. Yeah. And it's always my default, right? Like you have to really believe in Villa at minus 110 to stay up. And I, 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 I'll admit it. Like, I admit my biases. Like, over the course of 38 games is why Premier League is the most fair league in the world. Like, it's hard. It's extraordinarily hard for less talented teams, even ones that are well-managed and well-organized, to actually keep up with the talent gap between them and the teams above them. Like, a knockout tournament, different. Like, one game, different. Ten games, different. 38 games, as you said earlier, like, this season is freaking long. And over such a long uh, arc, teams usually settle somewhere pretty close to where their underlying talent is, right? So, like, Aston Villa, I think, is incredible. I think they cannot be discounted. I think that, like, top six, I feel very comfortable with them. But Mm -hmm. Newcastle, Newcastle has more talent. Like... Chelsea has more talent. Like I'm not saying Chelsea at plus 1000 is a good bet for top four, but you would have to say, yes, I will take a Aston Villa versus the rest of the league to take that bet. And I'm not sure I'm there. And so then you have to say, who's going to fill the spot and it's spurs because of uh, points or it's Newcastle like United's a tire fire. Chelsea's too far behind. Brighton's going the wrong direction. Um, So I just don't, I don't see those teams being like great bets at this point. Chelsea's probably the best among them because they have the most talent with the longest odds combo among uh, among that group. But then it becomes Newcastle versus Spurs. And guess what, Brett? Fade Spurs! <laughs> so Newcastle plus 250 becomes the obvious way to uh, enter this
1: market. I, I just have to stop and say I'm just impressed with your ability to weave and ebb and flow within a conversation. And then you always get to the end point of your thesis, which is fade spurs. Dude, It's my <laughs> it's,
0: it's my it's star it's a, of this entire podcast.
1: It's amazing. I wish I was as good at anything as you were, as getting back, I guess setting yourself up for a fade spurs to end a conversation. <laughs> well, um, I'll, Outside the top four, just
0: and I'll let you react, but let's just yeah. do that so, because it's the flip side of the market, and then you can see which is the best value, right? Yeah. Outside top four, Newcastle is minus 320, Spurs are minus 290, Villa is plus 110, Pool is plus 470, and Arsenal is plus 600. So I would maintain still that because Spurs are minus 290 to finish outside the top four, that's not great value, that Newcastle plus 250 is still the best bet in this whole set um and maybe villa plus 110 to finish outside the top four if you're getting every other team and uh you're getting plus numbers those are the two that i like
1: yeah and i think one of the things that i would we haven't even really factored into this too is like you look at newcastle's ownership group you look at the slide that's been happening uh january is coming up the who is the most likely team to go make a huge purchase to improve their squad. Oh, you think Whether-
0: they're to purchase? Oh, that's cute. I don't know if you remember uh back in the summer where Saudi Arabia bought everybody literally they bought every <laughs> player who's ever laced them up and that would report to duty in that country. And uh guess who has the ownership rights in Newcastle? So do you think there might be a, a loan? Like not even like money, a little bit. like you think you think there might be a loan program over at Newcastle cuz I definitely do.
1: Yeah, Uh, and and those are the things that I think I I factor in a little bit into that pricing as well. It's like this is clearly going to be a team that's been underperforming some expectations, and I think, uh, you know, it's going to be panic buy and they're going to have not only a financial edge, but as you pointed out, there might be a little collusion aspect that goes into this as well, that helps them out here and there as well.
0: Oh, in world soccer? No way. I mean, like in uh, in the transfer market, I mean, you're right. Like that, that is why I bet Newcastle every December, honestly, like ever since the ownership changed, I bet Newcastle on some level of bet, whether it was to avoid <laughs> relegation or finish top 10, or now we're looking at top four because of what we're talking about. Uh, but is any other, like, is any of these other teams arsenal pool spurs united chelsea brighton like are they a move away from actually making you feel great about these odds because they aren't to me like i think most i think it's gonna be a pretty quiet january i mean i i know that like as soon as i say that like we're gonna have fireworks throughout the entire month but i don't see high profile players throughout europe that are like pushing for moves or ready for moves that would make a difference in any of these teams. Cause I don't think the level of talent that's going to move in the window uh, is enough that any club is like that level of talent away from making a serious dent in these odds.
1: Yeah. I mean, Liverpool is going to do something I would assume about the center back situation. So they don't have another, like another Nat Phillips era on their hands. Like they did the year when everybody was hurt and Van Dyke his ACL injury and all that stuff. Um, but that's not like th- those are the types of moves that I'm, I'm picturing in my head. It's going to be shoring up some depth areas. It's not going to be this big top end move, you know, where a player moves the needle. And and most, and a lot of people have written about this, the January transfer window over the years, it's by far the most efficient and efficient of the two windows as far as like how the, the transfer spending leads to actual points. But, you know, if you look at it in the vein of like Liverpool adds like even a halfway decent center back like what does that do for them their point to tally right like it moves them maybe yeah. a point right and i think yeah. that's going to be a lot of the a, a lot of the signings that we'll see so it's it's hard to picture that i you know brighton i think is sitting on more cash than we expect but i mean i don't see a smart club like that just reaching into the january window when they're uh, you know because they're underperforming a little bit in the table and they still have europa like that's the thing like Brighton theoretically still has a path of the champions league. So even their underperformance in the table, I don't think stresses out their, their ownership group that much. And I just don't see them as a club. That's going to like try to make a big splash to just move up on the, the premier league standings.
0: Yeah, the, the, you are absolutely right. You just said, you said something that triggered something in my brain, Liverpool shoring up center back, uh, is important. Arsenal may be adding a depth piece because outside of their 11, like, as we talked about frequently, um, they they don't have a lot to either bring off the bench or allow for rotation. And it's the teams that are still in Europe that actually need to make some sort of signing, not at the top, but at the middle. Because mm. like you say, it doesn't make a one-point difference. Well, it doesn't make mean like suddenly you're going to beat City or suddenly like you're going to win the head-to-head versus Arsenal. But if rotating out your uh, change in that rotation is certainly like the gap isn't as large, maybe you don't drop. Uh, two points to Sheffield, maybe you don't drop two points to Fulham, you know, because you're able to rotate the guys while you're still competing in Europe and still have quality across the pitch. And so like you're, if that happens, I don't know if it's a, I don't, it's not like 10 point difference, like nobody's going to be a 10 point difference, but maybe it is more than one point because of uh, the European competition and being able to still field strong 11s against teams that you want to try to take your foot off the gas just a little bit.
1: Yeah, and yeah, it's 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 just basically. I think the the way you know I, I was trying to articulate that was not as good. <laughs> I'm not good with words, and I'm on a podcast. Great, um, yeah. no, but it, it's the ceilings and floors kind of thing, right? Like you, you sign a a center back like, as a depth piece, like he's not going to raise your ceiling, but as you're talking about the drop point stuff against some of the lower teams and the ability to rotate out, he raises your floor, you know. And yeah. I think though that's the kind of stuff that. I was trying to get across is like I think that's what we'll see in this January window. Um, because you're right, like they like Liverpool, their top four, their title hopes, like they can't lose to Sheffield. <laughs> you know, they can lose, you know, in, in Europa or whatever. I don't know. They started like seven starters in the Carabao Cup. I don't know what was going on there last yesterday. Um, but yeah, they they can't afford to lose, you know, the 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 matches that have to be automatic three points and the players that help you do that aren't necessarily superstars. It's just the difference between starting like James Tarkovsky and Nat Phillips. <laughs> like I... that's, the, that's the window, of the gap you're trying to close. I will not
0: stand for any Carabao Cup besmirching. I think it's the greatest competition in the world. I think it's the most prestigious thing that any club can win. I think it should be everything that everybody aspires to. That has nothing to do with the only thing Chelsea has a chance to compete in this year. Uh, So before we wrap up and get into this week's games, uh, I think I got a scorching hot take coming my way on the top six. So let's give the odds real quick. Uh, Villa minus 700. Spurs minus 300. Newcastle minus 200. United plus 170. Chelsea plus 200. Brighton plus 450. The reverse fall out of the top six. Spurs plus 190. um, Newcastle plus 220. Villa plus 600. Uh, So, Brett, I think I left a team off that you want to add to this list. I would say my favorite bet in there is Chelsea at plus two hundred to have like a get right second half within Cuckoo coming back and get into the top six, even if they're not going to make it to the top four, and the bottom falling out of Spurs at uh, at plus one ninety and them not making it. So I think you want to add a team though. So what is your scorching hot top six odds that you want to throw out to the world?
1: You, you and your your little eensy weensy plus two hundred bets add four zeros after two and you get Everton's top six odds. <laughs> and I'm going to, I think it's worth the pet. I think it's worth the play. I don't, we, I mean, you're the lawyer between the two of us. I have no idea how this appeal is going to work when they can get the points back. However, it's going to work out. But if that happens, if they are gifted 10 points, they are immediately almost, I think in my book, a favorite to be a top six team given how United has a I, given how United has played, given our skepticism of Spurs, given that Chelsea is who knows what Chelsea is going to be, especially if they get antsy and fire potch. Um, I think Everton's right there. I mean, they'd be in eighth or ninth if they get those 10 points right now. Um, so these odds are are massive for plus six. I, I think you're 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 obviously betting on a court case, which is like. The weirdest. I mean, we DraftKings might start taking uh, court cases. Who knows? We and, might be going and, to traffic court.
0: Uh, let, let me tell you something. All of America is betting on court cases right now. Our the fabric of our society is is being
1: settled by court cases. We might as well add soccer to it. <laughs> fair point. Very fair point. Um, at least <laughs> this one, obviously, I think is a more direct link to a book. But uh, yeah, you're very fair point. Um, But yeah, that's the one that I would take. I think it's super interesting that they could all of a sudden get a 10 point swing. And like I said, if if you were if you saw odds like that and Everton were an eighth or ninth, you couldn't get your money in there fast enough. So you're just betting on the court case to get them back to that point. And then you have amazing odds for this Everton team, which is pretty good uh, to be a top six club. Anybody else? Are you are you believing in Bournemouth that you put I, I am right a believer now? in Bournemouth, not for the top six, for the top ten. Uh okay. I think there's enough sliding around. I think there's a chance. I and this I love saying this. I think there's a chance. Like United is very lucky to be in the top half of the table based on their underlying performance right now. And Bournemouth has figured something out. Uh Iriolo, who we've talked about before. The season did some interesting work at Ryo. He's got some interesting philosophical ideas. He hasn't even really been playing like their newer signings. Um, but like Dominic Solanke <clears throat> under the radar, which for most people, Dominic Solanke exists under the radar, um, has some fantastic numbers. And it's having a really good season for Bournemouth right now. And so for a, a bottom 10 club to have a striker that's approaching top 10 status, um, that's a big deal. Uh, especially with the shifting that we're going to probably see with with Brighton, with United, if there's collapses from Spurs, if there's collapses from Chelsea, like the you know, if you don't have faith in Brentford, if you don't have faith in Everton to get the points back, like that 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 line at plus 600 for Bournemouth to be top 10 based off their last month and a half here, it's pretty juicy.
0: Yeah, and Solanke's not under my radar. Yet another Chelsea youth product uh, being the best player for somebody else in the Premier League, not wearing blue, so I certainly continue to track. Well, that. Liber-
1: if it makes you feel any better, Liverpool let him go too. So
0: yeah, that did not. Thank you for trying though. <laughs> uh, the la- last market, then we'll finally get into the games. Consider this a second half preview, folks. Like I know we're going a little bit long on the futures, but I mean this is this is the most interesting thing going right now, especially since the Premier League completely screwed up Boxing Day. Uh, top goal scorer is there any value whatsoever? hollow minus minus six hundred. And then Salah plus 350, Sun plus 1,200, Watkins plus 1,800, Nicholas Jackson plus 5,000, Sokka plus like 12,500. Is, is there any value in any individual player future right now? Or is this just like Holland's
1: world and we're all living in it? I th- I mean, I looked at those numbers it and the only thought I thought had was – it's got to be Holland, unless you're betting unless you're betting long-term injury. That's really the only play that you're making at this point. You're betting on a long-term injury for Holland, which seems like a crappy way to do sports gambling. But hey, people probably made money off of it before. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. I mean, the problem with Holland and in, in the top goal score is, like he has a good season every month. And so he's already banked 14. <laughs> and like if he that. if he, he plays another month, like he could have seven goals. And once he gets yeah. in the 20s, he's probably already won the thing. So even with a long-term injury, he can win this thing uh, because it's going to be hard to catch him in the burst of goals that he gets. All right, Brett, uh, that was great. I hope people go out, make some money on fading Spurs, uh, backing Newcastle and their endless pipeline of elite talents that is going to flow through what usually carries oil, but this time it's going to land in England. And, uh yeah, throw a little money in that Everton. I mean, I, I agree. And I think, as I said earlier, they have an opportunity to get out of their a mess they created because it's going to uh, go into the top of the clubs. And I th- think that on appeal, there might be a good reason they should take that. so i I like your line of thinking on those
1: Everton top ten top six bets, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. I need your support sometimes because, you know, Sometimes I feel like I get bullied on this podcast, so pat on the back goes a long way.
0: All right. Well, I've already said that you are dominating the books in December. I don't know what else you want. Stop being so needy. Oh, is that bullying? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, great great way to go into a sponsored segment by Caesars. I'm talking about bullying my co-host. That is why I am the worst <laughs> in the business. We'll be right back.
3: legal and administrative and customer support at robert half we know talent visit roberthalf.com today
0: all right Brett. well let's get into the actual action we took 30 40 minutes i don't know how long talking about the second half of the season in front of one of the most important fixtures of the entire year that is liverpool second at 38 points versus Arsenal first at 39 points. We are going into the holiday with a top of the table clash. This game is Saturday at 12:30 p.m. Caesar says Liverpool at +140, Arsenal is +180, the draw is +250. Pool minus half a goal is +135 and Arsenal on the double chance is -180. So the one feature we didn't cover is a top 2 finish. And so let's talk about Arsenal-Liverpool head-to-head on the rest of the year, but then let's do this individual matchup. Arsenal top two is minus 150. Liverpool top two is minus 125. So do you like Arsenal better for the entire season and in the head-to-head, or would you split because of some sort of tactical advantage that Liverpool might have, that you're going to back them in the match against them, even if you wouldn't back them on the long term?
1: I... I can't even make a difference out between these two teams overall. I mean, you have, you have the league's best attack, the league's best defense um, and they're equally strong in both ways. I think they're equally on the precipice of certain injuries would, would cripple them. Um, I think that losing Declan Rice would be huge for Arsenal. Um, obviously losing Sal Asala would be huge for Liverpool. Van Dyke would be huge for Liverpool. So they're all one injury away from us being really concerned about them. Probably. Um, I just can't, I don't know about you, man. I, I've thought about this. I looked at the top two odds. I looked at this match. I can't really find a difference. And you are you already know what the bet is when I can't find a difference. So I'll just say the bet for the match is going to be the draw at plus Um, As far as like how this plays out over the season, man, I don't know. You got to be the expert here because I have looked at this every which way and I cannot figure out where these teams rank above each other.
0: I like Arsenal for both. I'll just say it up front. Um, and you mentioned why earlier. Like when you look at their best eleven, which they're fielding right now, which is why I'm also backing them in this match. Like over the long term, some injuries can change this. Declan Rice going down would be a big problem. Uh, Gabriel missing some more time would be a big problem. Um, I I think that it could even out. But when you look at the top eleven, like it's not even close to me. Like. I was looking at Liverpool's lineup last week, like grabbing Birch. He sounds like he should be playing beater for the Durmstrom Quidditch team or he's going to be the next guy that John Wick is trying to kill in John Wick 5. Like, th- 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 he's not a guy who should be in the starting 11 at this stage of his career for a team that I'm going to take seriously to win the entire league. And I don't feel that way about anybody at Arsenal. And I shouldn't have, like, just called out Graven Birch, Like, I just like his name. There's other guys at Liverpool that are su- suspect as well that are on that team sheet week after week. And so like we're going to look at this as a little bit of a team sport. The 11 is so strong in Arsenal compared to Liverpool. I've got to take them over there. Like you can talk about individual quality. You can talk about Mo Salah's brilliance. Like Mo Salah would be the best player on Arsenal. And I, the reason I'm not more bullish on Arsenal, the reason I'm going to keep betting City is, look, I have my biases. I obviously return to some of the same tropes over and over again, such as fade spurs. I don't see it. With Saka, I am willing to be wrong. Um, and I'm, I'm now starting to like root my brain in the fact that I don't see it. So I'm looking for the things he does wrong rather than he does the things right. But like if he is going to be your biggest goal threat and he is going to be like leading the attack from both creativity and finishing and he is going to be like not in the top 15 to 20 of top goal scoring odds, that's not great. Like, I think we need to stop thinking about him as somebody who's going to be like this, you know, 25, 30 goal a year contributor. Who's going to be a Salah who can ultimately win it for you. And if if he was the guy that he has talked about in the media, I actually might have taken them over City. Um, But because I think he's fading a little bit, I can't back them against City. But because of the depth and the strength. And because I think Odegaard right now is the single best midfielder in the Premier League. Like, I think it's like one of those things where we assume it's KDB and then somebody else has to take the mantle. I now think Odegaard has the mantle and KDB and other people have to take it back. So you put all that together. I know that was a bit of a disjointed rant, but you put it all together. And I like Arsenal on the long term to be better than Liverpool. And I definitely like them to be better on Saturday because the 11 they're going to field is so strong.
1: Yeah, I mean the soccer thing is interesting. I think he's been a guy that I think if he played somewhere other than a big London club, we would have probably seen him for the pretty good prospect. That's more in creative. England. Don't yeah. don't forget, like he's you know, at
0: nineteen. He's starting for one of the most famous national sides in the world, and so like yeah. this isn't just that he plays in the capital. Like he's been getting excellent opportunities in bright spotlights and i'm not saying he doesn't deserve it i'm not saying he's not talented i'm just saying he's not the guy that he's that we think he is
1: mm. yeah and he and, and he's been always been and this is this is the problem with attacking players you always you're always going to connect them in in terms of goals and he's always been a guy that's going to be more in the build up and the setup phase than he is in the finishing phase and i think that's always hard so you, you so he gets Kind of hammer from both sides. He's not going to be the Mo Salah, you know, hybrid attacker that's more goals and creation. He's going to be the other way around. And he had this huge set of expectations placed on him when he was a pretty good prospect. He wasn't like a a can't misses. wasn't like Holland or Mbappe when, or uh, you know, when those guys were coming up. Where you're just like, these guys are. What are you
0: talking about? Are you talking about when they're like 15 or 16? Because by the time he was like 19, he was as about as hyped as it gets.
1: You know, well, that's what I'm saying, though, is he was as hyped as it gets and it wasn't as deserving as when we were watching Haaland rip apart Champions League's games in Austria. Right. Yeah. So, like the those two things were different. And that's what I'm saying is he suffered a little bit from people placing outside expectations and perceptions on him when he wasn't that type of player. And yeah. so I think that's kind of we have to untangle that a little bit when we look at, at Saka, um, because I think he's good. Like he's he's a he's a Champions League caliber player like that's. Not, I don't think that's arguable. But is he an elite, top-tier goal-scoring attacker? Absolutely not. And that's where I think you're getting, you know, your reservations about how hard Arsenal can go as far as top of the table. I totally get that because the other thing too is is even aside from Saka, you know, Martinelli like blew up through the first half of last season. Obviously, he had the injury issue, but he has not progressed. I think in a way that we would linearly take where he started off last year. I think at this point, you and I were definitely on the bandwagon. I'm I'm, gonna, I'm pulling you along on that one. I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. we both were, were pretty excited about, about where Martinelli was going to go. And instead of, you know, continuing to go up in that nice linear track, he definitely has sort of plateaued. Which, yeah. you know, he may take another jump, like all progress doesn't come at once. Soccer development is weird. Um, but that's been another factor for me too that makes it... Harder for me to separate them from a club like Liverpool is like, I don't see where their attackers are going to be. Like, I love Jesus, and and he does a lot of stuff off the ball and pressing and defensive work. You know, finishing is something he's going to get railed on all the time. But he's a good Premier League striker. But like you said, these teams at at this point in the table of the top four, the top two, the title winner, they have to score. And that is uh, across the board, not just soccer. For me, that's an issue with Arsenal.
0: Yeah, it's a fair point. I think that uh, you're depending on the Liverpool offense to carry the Liverpool like lack of uh, steel in the middle and mm. the midfield, and a little bit of a shaky back line. And like I think you could say the same thing like, oh, we're a little suspect on Arsenal's offense. I think Liverpool's offense is a little bit overblown right now. Like, Salah is still tremendous. I've got nothing but respect and and great things to say about him. But, like, Nunez is a chaos agent. Yes, I agree. Can't finish. He can't finish. Like the guy's spraying shots all over the place. And he has to be better. And he's getting all these amazing opportunities from Alexander Arnold because the, that guy is like has a you know a hell of a right foot, as much as I don't like his defense. Salah creates the chaos. Like Diaz and Joto come in with really clever movement and things like that. And he's getting pockets of space in very dangerous positions. And he doesn't bury them. And so I think we like we like Nunez. Um borderline like love him sometimes because we see him and we see the t- And we see the opportunities he's getting. He should have way more goals. I have no idea what his expected goals is versus his conversion. I just know with my eyes, I am like blown away with the number of quality opportunities that guy gets without finishing each and every week. And until like that is no longer true until I'm eating crow on that statement. I don't think you can say Liverpool is the best offense in the league.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the one thing of pushback that I would I would have on that one is is Enjeto was a pretty good goal scorer who was routinely I think I think over his career he's like. 50, at least in terms of where you can track expected goals. He's like 30, 40, 50 expected goal or goal, actual goals under his expected total. But he was still a very like capable, prolific striker in a lot of years. And I kind of think like Nunez falls into that vein. But I think though, the one other thing too, Liverpool is there, there is a depth, like you mentioned all the attackers, like Gakpo is their fifth attacker. He would start for a lot of, you know, mid, mid uh, like top table teams. That's true. Um, and I think that rotational depth, like the it, it, we've talked about this, like if you can just keep coming in waves like this, where you're always bringing on quality attackers, you're always rotating them into your starting 11, even if Nunez is disappointing, um, that's going to be a huge boost over the aggregate, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're catching me on a snapshot right now, right? Like we're talking about this game, we're talking about biases and things that I've seen recent, and there is some mm-hmm. recency bias here. Like I... I believe in strong spines. It's just like how I'm wired. If you show me a Declan Rice, you show me a a, a Gabriel, you show me like a team that in Odegaard and all those sorts of things that are really strong down the middle. Jesus is pressing, et cetera, You've already brought it up. Like you show me a strong that's really strong down the middle. I'm going to like say that strength that they have is amazing. And then when you say the, the, up the, the, Strength for Liverpool is their depth and their attacking quality and things like that. And I just saw them put up a zero spot against a absolutely like horrible, depleted defensively Manchester United team. It's hard to take, take me that seriously this particular week, whereas I know I can count on the uh, the Arsenal spine. So I'm taking them. You're taking the coward's way out. On the prop market, uh, I am going to take my f- my foot off the gas just a little bit, and we're going to find common ground, Brett. We're going to find common ground here at Christmas. I want to include the Coward's Way Out. I just don't like the minus 180, so you can probably guess what I did. I'm taking Arsenal on the double chance plus Martin Odegaard. I don't know if you've heard of him. One shot on target
1: or better. I've never heard of this you- bet before.
0: You put this together and you turn that minus 180 into a plus 180, Brett. You get Arsenal the double chance just by adding an Odegaard shot on target, <laughs> and you get that all the way up to plus 180. I will be playing that.
1: Yeah. Uh well, the interesting thing is uh I'm as per usual, <clears throat> I'm here uh standing for Liverpool's attack, and yet my prop bet is going to be a very simple the under of two and a half goals at plus one oh five. I think oh, the, wow. the the limited number of uh, I don't think that Liverpool is going to be able to turn this into a transition fast, which benefits them because because of the way that Arsenal can kind of control and dominate the ball. And I think that Liverpool's defensive woes are not as big against an Arsenal attack that's been a little bit disappointing. And Liverpool's defending can blunt, or I'm sorry, Arsenal's defending can blunt Liverpool's attack. So the this this score line, like if you're looking at ranges of scores, one-one is like a massive part of the scoreline to me, which is yeah. why I like the draw and why I like the under two and a half.
0: Well, I'm very glad we did our preview before this match because of recency bias. Like, I think we have a better chance to evaluate them over the final 21 weeks before we see them play each other. Mm-hmm. And But I am dying to see them play each other. Yeah, like, I, I am so for excited for this game on Saturday. Like, this is I think this is the most interesting possible matchup in the entire Premier League right now even over, like, a City game.
1: I agree. I, I am so curious to see these two teams play each other because I cannot figure out if anything separates them.
0: All right. Uh, we got a couple more matches to cover. We've got two more from the weekend, and then we're going to do one on Boxing Day because there's only one on Boxing Day worth talking about. So the next one we have is the Tottenham Hotspurs at 5th at 33 points versus Everton, 16th at 16 points, Saturday at 10 a.m. The Spurs are minus 120. Caesar says Everton at plus 280. The draw is plus 300. Spurs minus half a goal is minus 120. Everton is minus 110. And if you are 45, 50 minutes into this pod and you've been listening the whole way, I I can't imagine, Brett, that we're going any other way right now. That this <laughs> Everton, like quasi juggernaut that has formed in the, in the last month. With four straight clean sheet victories, they also they beat Newcastle and Chelsea during that run. And interestingly to me, Brett, only Newcastle broke one XG on them during those four matches. Everybody else, it, was, it wasn't like fluky. They are suppressing the hell out of opposing offenses right now. And then on the other side, we just learned that losing to Spurs is a fireable offense. Like that was the last straw for the Forest. Like, oh, we got to get them out of here. Then it's lost to Tottenham. They've got to go uh and basuma got himself suspended again are you freaking kidding me basuma like what are you doing with that challenge and now they have a four game suspension it is an unmitigated disaster they have no van they have no madison now they have no basuma even a doji is suspended for this game what what's the argument for spurs brett like Kulishevsky as a free 10 is dope. And they amp the chaos to 11. And they're like Bane being bored into the darkness. they like, we're more comfortable with this than you are. Those are the only two things I can say for Spurs. And that is not enough for me to ignore a plus 280 number for a team that's arguably better than them to win outright here.
1: Yeah, I actually couldn't even, even though with all my Everton standing here, I couldn't get all the way to the plus 280. I, I'm taking them with the plus 0.5 so I can protect myself a little bit against a draw here. Uh, minus 110. But I don't really see the argument for Spurs winning this match. I've been really impressed. Uh, I, mean, Sean, I mean, we have to probably reevaluate Sean Dyche as a manager. Um, I think we maybe didn't credit enough how poor the Burnley teams were at the very tail end of his run. Um, I mean, he finished seventh <laughs> with teams. I mean, this is a whole like introspective podcast looking back at the Sean Dyche here at Burnley and how it's projected on Everton because this team isn't super talented, but he's get, he's clearly getting a lot out of it. And you mentioned the run that they've had in the last four matches as far as suppressing shots. Um, the both to score no line is plus one thirty-five. And I can yep. you know Everton isn't like a lock to score goals ever in any match, um, even with Dominic Calvert Lewin back. But you know, this this line at plus one thirty-five, Everton can certainly shut out this version of Spurs.
0: Yeah. Well, I think. A scoreless Spurs game is basically a mathematical impossibility, like the (laughs) crazy high line that they continue to play with the injuries and suspensions that are facing them. Like, I don't, I don't see how there's not like 50 shots in this game. Like, I don't see how the balls, is not like pinging around both penalty boxes over and over again, which is why I I worked out a slew of bets here, Uh, Brett, tell me which one jumps out to you the most. I know it's one I'm going to actually play. Um, The Spurs to win the first half, but Everton to win the second half is plus 800. Everton to come from behind and win is plus 1200. Everton to come from behind and win or draw is plus 450. And then the one that I will be playing, Everton to win either half is plus 130. So, like, you want to protect yourself against the draw. Then this could easily be one one two two, and like once you get that amount, that number of goals right there, like the variance of Everton just coming out, and one of the forty fives is definitely seems like it shouldn't be a plus
1: number to me. Yeah, that is the
0: one I am playing.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. I've used that bet before too. That's—I uh, was shocked. I didn't even think that that would be even worth looking at. Because it goes to show my my assumptions, what they do for you. Um, yeah, the la- that one for sure. I liked I like the come from mine and win, come from mine and draw. But I definitely like plus number for Everton to win a single half.
0: All right. Well, let's see how you, if you like Chelsea nowadays. Let's check in to see how you're feeling because I know how I am feeling. <laughs> Wolves are thirteenth. At 19 points versus Chelsea, 10th at 22 points. This game is on Christmas Eve, Sunday at 8 a.m. What are you doing, Premier League? (laughs) Chelsea is minus 105. The Wolves are plus 270. The draw is plus 260. Chelsea minus half a goal is minus 115. And Caesars has Wolves at minus 115 on the double chance, calling that a straight-up old-fashioned coin flip. Uh, So, Brett, my one concern here is the same concern I have every single time Chelsea plays Wolves or teams like Wolves. They can very well have the 11 best players on the pitch and still lose. And like The only way that's not true is that Pedro, Pedro Neto actually returns, um, but like they're going to be wildly more talented than Wolves, and I am still super nervous about this match. What are you feeling on this one?
1: I I have such a bias against Wolves, I, I will admit it. I Even when Neto is in a starting 11, I look at the players they start. And I'm just like, how is this team not one of the worst teams in the Premier League? And then they I mean, just they're, they're close. But, but they
0: just beat Spurs and City and Drew Villa and Newcastle. I, I, like, the black magic is so strong.
1: I think Gary O'Neill is a clearly clearly Gary, Gary O'Neill is a magician, or he stole the soul, or there's some divine entity that's like intervening in all this. Um, but yeah, I I just can't get past this wolves team's lack of collective talent. Um and you know maybe maybe some of these players are you know going to surprise us in ways that we weren't expecting you know upon their arrival, but that's the reason I'm going to take Chelsea on the money line, and I'm also going to take another both to score a no bet. It's like I I can't I, I mean I get the the problems with Chelsea. Believe me, I I'm I'm with you. I see them. I understand the frustration. I'm never going to be able to look at this Wolves team and I've ever and ever have any confidence in betting anything. I just I just can't do it, especially when it comes to scoring goals. I just. I like Marcus Kuna. I think he's a decent attacker, but like that's pretty much all. <laughs> that's the, the only nice thing I can really say about him. That and Gary O'Neill's yeah. a wizard. Those are my two compliments for Wolves.
0: Yeah. Well, there's no world, Brett, in which I wake up on Christmas Eve and bet against Chelsea. Like what, what do you think I'm doing <laughs> in my life? What, what kind of <laughs> craziness is that? So I am going for another blue Christmas. I am going on the money line as well. Uh, I might have actually faded my boys on the uh, Holiest of Holidays uh, if Mudrick had not bailed them out in that uh, the Carabao Cup. Just a uh, tremendous competition, just absolutely top notch. <laughs> if Mudrick hadn't pounced on that ball and buried it and then have them win in the, the penalty shootout. Uh, so vibes are pretty high right now. They blank Sheffield and not that they shouldn't have blank Sheffield, but that's the exact kind of thing that could have gotten pot fired. But instead they come out and win two nil. They do advance to the semifinals. They got a super favorable draw. Um, they beat Newcastle and both sides fielded like strong teams. That wasn't like a scrimmage versus the, the U 18s or anything like both sides went after that game. And Chelsea came out ahead and then Cuckoo finally arrived. And then Cuckoo brings fresh hope for the attack. Although I will say, even with a Cuckoo back, I think it's pretty freaking clear right now, Brett, having watched uh, whatever 20, 25 Chelsea games this year, that Cole Palmer is their best player. Like Enzo has not had a as, uh, great season. Casado's having a little time, hard time in betting. Sterling's been awesome. And Sterling's like, well, he's been uh, sporadically awesome, which is the Raheem Sterling story, like right on his tombstone. And his acceleration from standing still remains freaking crazy. It's like one of the strangest things to watch every week, how he goes from nothing to buy a guy in like three steps, uh, never like fails to amaze me. But Cole Palmer's their best player. He's 21, and I don't know if this is the first time City and Pep have made a mistake in quite some time on somebody leaving, but like they got fair value for Sterling, they got fair value for Jesus, they got fair value for Manchin- for Zinchenko. Like, usually when they get rid of a guy, the, the price is about right. I think they stole Cole Palmer away from City. He's He's the best guy. And so having watched it over and over again, he's in the middle of every dangerous play, whether it's his finishing, his movement, or his passing. And the fact that I can go out into the prop market and get him on a goal or assist for this game at plus 160, that number's not going to be like that high forever the more people are watching the impact that he has. And I'm going conti- to start taking advantage of that on a portfolio basis until they lower the number.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing is like he's immediately stepped in to be in their penalty taker, um, which is and he surprising. hasn't missed. Yeah, and, which is just a surprising thing. Like, I mean, that would be something that if you put the odds on that when he joined Chelsea, like Cole Palmer would immediately become Chelsea's penalty taker would be. I don't even know what that number would be, but it would be way too high for for me not to just maybe put like a dollar on it. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been interesting. I I I still don't retroactively kind of get. I wonder if this is like a city like just panicking and trying to balance their books with any way they can with non-essential players being shipped out. Uh, but it's it is bizarre that a young English player for a team that would kind that I think needs some young English players uh, for rules purposes, um, you know, sells it sells him Chelsea, and then he just ends up doing this for him. Uh, I don't know. I don't understand it. That's a, that's one we're going to probably get a story on in about a year where we figure out some behind the scenes thing that was going on. And then it, it kind of illuminates this a little bit better, but he's been great. I'm so
0: thrilled. I'm so thrilled to have yeah. him because he's exactly what Chelsea needs. Cause ever not everybody, 15 teams in the league set up in a low block against Chelsea. For the last like five years, and they have never figured out how to beat a low block until they have a guy like this. Like they needed the KDB type, they needed the Odegaard, they needed even the Sala type who like can pick that pass or make the move in really tight spaces to create a finish. And that's exactly who he is. So like I I I'm over the moon to have him.
1: Yeah. And I'm I'm over the moon at the idea that my new life aspiration is to have the title on my tombstone sporadically awesome. So
3: I like that before we get to the bill,
1: I just want to end on that. Like I'm, you say that that would be like a, like a negative thing for Sterling to have. I would, I would be over the moon if my tombstone just said here lies, Brett, he was sporadically awesome.
0: Yeah. uh, I don't know if any listeners ever like check my social media, but I quit social media, like I don't know, 12 years ago. Um, But my, my tagline on Twitter since I started it, whatever that was, uh, twelve years ago in one day, I think I quit one day. In is aspiring has been because that's what we should all look to be. Like have one moment of brilliance, and even if people say that you suck after that, at least at some point you were admired.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, mine says washed. You know, former washed uh, basketball trainer. So.
0: You're, yeah. you're definitely still a current washed for, basketball trainer. Like, That's true. You're, you're, That's true. You, you didn't get rid of the washed form, right? not a former, I
1: just am a yeah. washed basketball trainer. Is, <laughs> but again, words, podcast. I mean, come on. What do you expect from me?
0: What do you expect from you? All right. Uh, let's take our second break and then cover one Boxing Day game. Do the five pint and get out of here. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. All right, we are back, and Boxing Day should be the best day of the year outside of the last day or maybe the opening day of the pre League schedule, but there's only five matches this year. They have butchered a classic English tradition. I don't understand why. And of the five matches, there's only one decent one. This is crazy. This is like the NBA being like, hey, hey, it's Christmas Day. You know what we got? We got a, we got a hot, like, wools. Now, uh, no, Pistons, good Pistons would be yeah. the, the one. Yeah, we, we got a hot Pistons Magic game for everybody. That's at three thirty p.m. Like, what are what? I don't. All right, sorry, I got I got to shut up. Like, I don't understand the schedule scheduling this year. Like, don't screw up Boxing Day. Like, optimize to Boxing Day. But they did give us one good one. Manchester United seventh, twenty eight points versus Aston Villa third at twenty at thirty eight points. Tuesday at three p.m. United is plus 135, Villa is plus 180, the draw is plus 260. On the double chance, Villa is plus, uh, I'm sorry, is minus 170, Manchester United is plus 130. And Brett, like, just like they screwed up Boxing Day, uh, United has screwed up their season. I don't see any reason whatsoever I would take them against a Villa team that we spent a good five minutes talking about whether they could actually be contenders. And the only question for United is, how far can they fall? Like, what was that lineup that they blow out against Liverpool? Like, the, Evans is still playing center back in what's about to be the year of our Lord, twenty twenty four. McTominay was playing like a, I don't know, was he playing a free eight or a ten roll Like, what what was McTominay even playing? They have a Amrabat Manu pivot. And what is Garnacho even good at? And is Hoyland ever going to score? Ever going to score? So I have all those questions about United. That is the way I am thinking about this matchup and their season. And meanwhile, on the other side, Villa just beat Arsenal and City back-to-back. What what are we doing here? I'm supposed to take United's tire fire over a team that just beat Arsenal and City back-to-back, and you're going to give me plus money on Villa? Plus 180 all day, Brent.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll put it this way. I think you dodged this text from me, but I, I, I basically mass texted all my soccer friends with the question: Would Amrabat start for Sheffield United? I'm being, <laughs> I'm being serious. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, anyways, with that said, plus one eighty Villa on the money line. Villa race to two goals, plus one seventy five. Believe me, those things will be showing up in my 5 pint. (laughs) Oh, my
0: God. Like, this is our boxing day. This is our premier matchup. I was watching a United team that I'm I'm literally acting like, hey, without Rashford? Oh, oh, all right. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas time, Toby. Why are you screaming about this irrelevant team? So let me just say Villa, plus half a goal, so you get them on the double chance, and the under three and a half, because United's not good for any more than one here, is plus 137. So all the score lines you get there are incredible. You get 3-0, uh, you get 2-1, you get 1-1, one one, you get 2-0, you get even nil-nil. The amount of things that you have covered on Boxing Day with a plus 137 are immense. And the only way you lose that bet is if United concede four to villa or maybe three and they get one consolation goal i love that number how about you brett what do you love here on christmas now that i'm trying to calm myself down
1: uh yeah well for my five point here um since we're just tailing off the villa game uh, I got the race to two goals for Villa at, at plus 175. As I said, that would be showing up in my five pint. Uh, I have the Chelsea Wolves, both to score no, it, plus 110. I have the Chelsea money line at minus 105. So this has got to be a blue Christmas for me too. I'm taking Everton plus the a goal at minus 110. And I am taking the under in the Liverpool Arsenal match to have two and a half goals at plus 105. So let's see if I can keep the December Brett rolling here.
0: Terrifying. I... Uh, instead of giving my five pint, I'm just going to echo everyone you just gave because you're so hot. Why should I try to compete? I'll, <laughs> just, I'll take all five that you just gave. Um, no, I guess I can't do that. Well, so I'm going to take Arsenal... On the double chance, uh, plus Odegaard shot on target, plus 177. Everton to win either half, plus 130. Palmer goal or assist, plus 160. Villa on the double chance in the under 3.5 at plus 137. And a blue Christmas, I'm going to join you on that. Chelsea on the money line at minus 105. So everyone, uh, we're signing off pretty quick here because we we got something we got to go to. Uh, But let me just say, this is a joy to do. Uh, We're so thankful that we've been able to do this over the last several years. It is the holiday season. Thanksgiving is the time of gratitude, but really every... Uh, season should be the time of gratitude so we are grateful that you listen to us you're grateful that we get to run this a whole network and we get to talk into a microphone uh and apparently get some money to do so and I hope that whatever you are doing this holiday season brings you as much joy as it does us to do this show for you so Merry Christmas enjoy the boxing day enjoy uh the incredible Liverpool and Arsenal matchup on Saturday we will be back next week with a bit of a fun treat Brett and I have plenty and otherwise we will see you next year enjoy the games everyone